Welcome back to the Odd Pearl Podcast. Here with uh, Turner Jan Becky, Sweet Tea, as some have called him, uh, Samuel Johnson, and a uh, special guest today, uh, Corbin Morley. What is up? What is up? Cool dog. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah. We're uh, just out here on Pearl Lane. Um, we have a great starting point for today's episode because we, we might have some psychics in the room. Or at least just some geniuses, I would say. There are a few that have remained loyal to the end to just not even to UNC, but like to the game of basketball, I'd say. Um, because there are a few that saw through the veil, uh, the, the thin, very dark blue veil, um, and, and saw the reality that was at hand when we had our last uh, podcast. Obviously, we were previewing the Duke-UNC matchup. Um, man. Where to start, guys? Let's recap it. Where to start? I know uh, you and me, Isaac, I mean, you know, we, we predicted they were going to get the W. Hey, I said, I, I said UNC by 10, man. Yeah, I'm just saying. It was know, an 11-point game. I believe 11-point victory. Yeah, score was a little bit off for me. I said 73-68, but, you know, the, 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 the purpose, like the intent was there. We mm-hmm. said UNC was going to win. They did come through. Some some interesting takeaways that I, that I had from the game is, one, Hubert Davis, the starters for uh, North Carolina played – the entire second half. I like played all 20 minutes. And, you know, I feel like in a game of that magnitude, it's like all structure goes out the window when you know all that's on the line. It's like sometimes you do have to coach in the moment. And when you're down to at halftime and your bench really hasn't provided you that much scoring-wise, it's like maybe, you know, Hubert Davis decides, you know, that's what we have to do. And for the game, the bench – only accounted for two of the 94 points. So yeah. all, five, all five starters combined. Was it Puff points. that scored the, the I think I believe it was. Puff that had two. Um, but the starters combined for 92 points. And I know people will be quick to point out that Leaky. I don't think Leaky hit double digits, but he held A.J. Griffin to five points on, on really subpar shooting. That's the same guy that dropped over 20 yep. in the first meeting. So, I mean, that's why Leaky's first team all ACC. But, um, so I thought that was interesting. He played heavy minutes. I'll be curious to see how that affects things going into the ACC tournament game. Um, Caleb Love shot perfect from the free throw line, which he didn't have the greatest shooting game, but I think those free throws down the stretch were huge you know, in terms of creating that separation because of late game fouling. You know, you always want to have a reliable uh, free throw shooter. And then obviously with the win, now we're back in the top 25 AP poll. So first mm. time since November that we're back. So yeah. huge, huge game all around. Man, dude, it, to rush Franklin Street and to see where uh, to see the excitements the student the, the student body had for this game, it feels like that thing I've been waiting for since I got here. I mean, I've been here for a year and a half now, but like that's the culture that I encountered, the 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 vibe that was being put out from Franklin Street. That is what I've been waiting for, and what I what I've been told this is, place is all about. Um, and you could tell, man, that everybody else was waiting for that too. Just waiting for a moment where they could they could uh, make that sort of statement uh, with their celebration. Um, it was beautiful. It was a great, great atmosphere. I saw you there, dude. I yeah, saw I mean, you Franklin. that was awesome. We sent Isaac. I was like, that's Isaac. Yeah, we sent a selfie to Turner about it. Sweet <laughs> I was there, but I think at that point I left the crowd and went to get in line for some frozen yogurt at Yoko. <laughs> Which that line was also like seventy to eighty people long. Probably yeah. it is wild. Um, I guess in, in the broader scope, this game 
I think a strong argument can be made that this is the biggest win in UNC history aside from a national championship victory. Like a regular season, biggest regular season win. Yeah, I, and I, I think it is. And I think that's been alluded to by a lot of the players. I think it also just validates Hubert Davis. Um, people in his corner didn't really need that validation based on the, I think the quality of a person that he is and uh, kind of what he's already proven with this team, how he's really like done a great job in terms of their performance in the ACC. But it's a signature win that you'll never be able to take away from him. And this team, it's going to be remembered forever. There was an article I read by Adam Lucas, who's like the UNC, the main beat writer. And he said, he had a really cool quote that anytime any Duke fan ever wants to talk smack to a Carolina fan or talks about Coach K, the Carolina fan forever will be able to say, well, you remember that one night in Cameron and Coach K's mm. last game? And that's just, that's something UNC fans will always be able to hold over Duke fans' heads. So, No doubt. It's In terms of the impact on recruiting that this will have, the impact, I mean, the, the past three years have been rough for Carolina basketball. Some of the worst, one, probably one of the worst three-year periods that Carolina has had in the past like two decades at least so it's a huge momentum changer and we'll see how it carries over into the tournament the ACC tournament I definitely think this is a reestablishment of UNC's like dominance as a blue blood basketball program I think a lot of people are forgetting that we were always on the bubble for this entire year or in like the first four out like there were um, there's still analysts that have us in the last four in which I think is absolutely ridiculous <laughs> but um ridiculous. But, like, we were definitely being counted out as one of, you know, those basketball programs like a UCLA that is starting to fall off and lose some of our recruiting ability and our um, just kind of star attraction um, ability. And the fact that we were able to take down a team that has recruited the best in the entire nation for probably, like, 10 years now is very impressive. And I agree with you, Turner. It completely boosts our ability to recruit and to pull in these high-caliber players. Um, But also... Like pulling high caliber players that aren't going to be like these one and done guys. We're going to pull in people who are like still five mm. and four stars, but guys that we know, you know, want to put so much effort into the program that they're willing to stay a year or two so they can develop mm. more in preparation for the NBA draft and also like help this team reach new heights, which mm. I'm like so grateful for. And I think it shows. Um, you know, the one thing that I think I pride myself on about being a UNC fan is. Instead of this like Duke Brotherhood, which is this one year, you know, oh it's like we're bros and then we leave and you know never talk about Duke again. Like as a <laughs> you, you get together and you, you stay close for years, and it it helps us overall. I mean, that's why we won a national championship in 2017. We had so many guys return and stay, even though they were all McDonald's All Americans. They all had the ability to probably leave for the draft earlier than they could have. Um, and that's why we have been able to beat Duke teams like these in the past that have freshmen that kind of aren't really set for the stage yet and aren't. Mm-hmm. Meant for this amount of just, just TV time and this amount of publicity. So, mm. yeah, that game will live in my heart for the rest of my life. Man, it, yeah, and we, we do have to we have to move on a little bit here. But I, it is worth noting. I mean, what the first time an unranked UNC team has ever beat a top five uh, Duke team in Duke's home grounds as well. Um, it's really significant, uh, and it's interesting too. I mean, I was looking at the the draft boards, like predicted where people are going to go in the draft. 
the only player for UNC that's gotten really that much attention from sports writers is Caleb Love, which is interesting to me because I, I don't think he's I don't think he I don't think he thinks he's ready for the for the draft. Surprise! Like I I would expect him to stick around next year. Um, I just actually kind of think it looks like it's shaping out that even Baycott could end up staying around next year. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is I'm surprised it's not Baycott that's getting more attention. Exactly. Than, uh, because, I mean, he was second in the, in the voting for ACC Player of the Year, mm-hmm. Baycott was, so that, that surprised me that Caleb Love is above him. Right. Um, man, well, I want to talk about broadening out a little bit, zooming out. What? Where does this fall amongst, I want to talk best, like, American sports rivalries across all sports. Um, where I want to hear some of y'all's like best rivalry wins, and then I want to hear where this falls amongst those. Um. Okay. I, I mean. I, yeah. I guess I'll start. Um. If we're comparing it like game to game, because I think I think you it would be fair to label this win that we just had as an emotional win, because I know we talked about last week. You know, a lot of what you're calling upon is the emotional element because a lot of a lot of things on paper aren't matching up. You know, we thought coming in, you know, Duke is number four. You know, we're unranked. It's like, you know, on paper, nothing jumps out at you and says, well, this UNC team certainly has a chance. Um, but you'd have to imagine that, uh, you know, absorbing the energy from that hostile crowd in that environment, like UNC fed on that. And I think there was a huge, huge factor in terms of how they were able to win the game. I compare this to... I go over to the NFL and I look at I look at Saints Falcons like that rivalry. That's that's a rivalry that I'm super familiar with because of where my family's from, you know, in the New Orleans area. So I grew up super exposed to that and like, you know, you really understand how a region of the country can be so divided like between two, two different teams, so such different dispositions. There was a game in 2006 between them, and this is a rivalry that's been going on since 1967. So like, you know, it's, it's up to this point, still a lot of games haven't been played. 2006. The first game at home is the first game that the Saints have played at home since Katrina because that was that was summer of 2005. And, you know, it's been about a year since they've been able to. That's the Superdome hadn't been used for anything else but, like, you know, but a, a refugee spot for people mm. that didn't have the means to leave the city. So it had been totally refurbished and enamored for this moment. And they're hosting a Falcons team with Michael Vick at quarterback. Mm. And, you know, you look at this and say, well – you know, this is a New Orleans team that last year went 3-13. and 13. You know, it's a first year with a new coach and new quarterback. It's like, you know, what reason do we have to side with New Orleans other than the emotional aspect, just like this UNC game. It's mm-hmm. like 70,000 people coming back into the Superdome, first time getting to watch the Saints, you know, something that the, that the city can stand together on after battling a hurricane. And the Saints want to win that game by 20. Um, you know, the same way we look and say, well, 94-81 looks pretty lopsided for UNC. It's like, what makes this New Orleans game special? And um, there was a specific moment in the first quarter where Steve Gleason, who now unfortunately has ALS, but the former safety for the Saints, blocked a punt a minute and a half into the game. And when he did that, you know, so early in the game, but, um, you know, when he did that, you know, you have 70,000 people erupting. Mm-hmm. You know, the Falcons just had no chance, like, after that um, in, in an environment like that. And I think that was a statement win um, in a robbery that up to that point had lasted 29 years. Um there was, you know, Steve Gleason was quoted as saying, there was a moment during the national anthem where I vividly remember looking across the field, seeing the Falcons, looking up at the crowd and thinking, it's impossible for us to lose tonight. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you think about that at the beginning of a game, like the emotion that you're riding and the circumstance. 
that's the type of statement emotional win that that UNC game reminds me of. It's a mm. game like that. Um, and as far as how those games compare, I, I, I would have to put them at least equal. Um, mm. Yeah, I think you could really argue one way or another because they're the same type of win. But th- I think that's the magnitude that we're looking at here. Um, you know, a game you maybe had no business winning, but mm. you ride emotion to, to overcome that uh, and get a win for your city. So that that's what that reminded me of as I was sitting there and watching that. So, yeah, man, that's a that's an interesting comparison. It's it's true too that I mean people don't know unless you're from maybe the the southeast the the the, the rivalry between between the Falcons and the Saints is an intense one. Um, it's been around for a while. I mean, I grew up in Atlanta for a while, and that was uh, that may have been the one that was circled on the calendar during my time there. Um, what other rivalry games do we compare this to? Um, I love that. That was awesome, Sam. I, that was, I didn't know about all of that, so that was really cool. Um, what I have kind of – the only co- collegiate sports rivalry that I think compares is Alabama-Auburn. Mm-hmm. And so there were, yeah. there were two the, – the one that sticks out to me the most is the kick six. Got to be the kick yeah. six. Uh, 2013, Chris Davis returning – the, the short field goal attempt to win it against Alabama. And I didn't remember all of the background details until looking at this. Bama was number one in the country, and Auburn was four. So that game put them in the SEC championship. They won the SEC championship, and Auburn ended up losing to Florida State, Jameis Winston's Florida State team, and like with 13 seconds left on the touchdown. But like the implications of that game were huge. So that was I didn't realize the the background to that yeah. kick because uh, I was I mean I was in middle school when that happened but I remember listening to it on the radio in the car actually in Alabama on the way back from Thanksgiving and uh-huh. just go, it going crazy and then uh, I found this was a pretty similar comparison so in 1982 Bear Bryant the legendary Alabama head coach in his last game against Auburn Bo Jackson led Auburn to an upset over Alabama and that was in 1982 and I don't think Bear Bryan had exactly the uh, farewell tour that Coach K did but he did announce his retirement two weeks later and so I'm sure that's a loss that really stings a lot for Alabama fans in a similar fashion to this defeat for for Duke fans who idolize Coach K in a similar way Mm. And then the last one I had was uh, the 2004 Red Sox. Uh, they were down 0-3 to the Yankees and the ALCS, and they came back. There was a legendary Bloody Sock game in there from Kurt Schilling where they kind of had to grind it out. And uh, just after not winning for 80, 90 years, they finally made it to the World Series after that incredible comeback. And I think that's a pretty legendary rivalry moment too but i would put this unc game up there with in terms of individual games it's definitely among the the biggest and most memorable in in sports history in america yeah at some point i want to circle back and compare because there there's it does seem comparable to me if you look at like auburn alabama like that's still a regular season game right yeah play every year that comparing that to UNC Duke um, is really interesting. Like as two separate rivalries, and and which one is more bitter? 
Um, because there's a great, uh, is it a 30 for 30 that was on the Iron Bowl? Um, it came out a few years ago. Uh, talked about Harvey Updike uh, poisoning the trees. Oh, yeah. You yeah. that? Incredible documentary. I, I feel like, I mean, there was the, Chris, the uh, Christian Leitner documentary. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that came yeah. out. Everyone yeah. hates Christian. I hate, uh, Christian. I hate Christian. But, and that kind of captured <clears throat> it, but I would love to see a documentary more focused on like UNC Duke come out of ESPN. I think it would be really cool. Um, but also, it's interesting, man. I, we, we can't leave out individual rivalries, like like in, in sports where there's like it's player versus player, right? Yeah, no doubt. So, like, I mean, if you're talking 1962 U.S. Open final between um, between uh, Jack Nicholas and Arnold, Arnold Palmer, Palmer, yeah, mm-hmm. dude, I mean, that was Jack Nicholas's first major win, um, and it was not, he was 22 at the time, um, and came in and they ended up having to play. Back then, if you tied on the fourth round, you played a full day's playoff the next day. And so they played um, on a Monday, I believe, uh, 18 holes. And uh, Nicholas ended up winning uh, even to, I think, three over. Um, that's a legendary matchup. Uh, the, the, I was looking at the, uh, the, the total purse for like the whole, like all the money that was being paid out in that whole thing. It was $70,000. <laughs> it was old fashioned, like, and Jack Nicholas walks away with $13,000. <laughs> like, <laughs> dude. But then you also, like, 2008 Wimbledon, man, Federer versus Nadal. Mm. Let me read y'all this, this score, the final score line for that game. All right. Uh, Nadal, 6-4. Oh, this is first set, 6-4 Nadal. Second set, 6-4 Nadal. Third set, tiebreak, 7-6, 7-5 on the tiebreak score. Huh. Federer. Next one, Federer wins another tiebreak, 10-8. Uh, ten, ten, uh, and then they go into the final, uh, the final set. And Nadal beats him nine seven. Uh, I remember watching that game. I remember Nadal climbing up, and I think it was like the, either the Queen or someone from the World World of Fame was there, and he climbed up into the grandstands and like met them. And the people were saying it was one of the best uh, tennis matches ever played. Um, both of those come to mind as like mm-hmm. specifics. It's hard to compare like one on one versus teams like that though, because also those guys aren't really representing. I guess they're representing the country they came from, but they're not really representing. Like a whole, like a like an area, like like a yeah. a city, right? Or like Chapel Hill versus versus Durham sort of has its own rivalry as two different cities, anyway. Yeah, I think um, in terms of like one on one sports, boxing always creates oh, great dude. rivalries. Yeah, yeah. So I, was gonna I think you one. can't forget Evander Holyfield versus Mike Tyson when Mike oh, okay. Tyson just decided to like eat Evander Holyfield's <laughs> ear. Um, I think you know the fact that you got a guy like physically assaulting someone in the middle of a match adds a whole other <laughs> level too. How intense that is! Of course, you have um, Mayweather versus Pacquiao, which has been legendary for the last couple mm-hmm. of years. Um, George Foreman versus Ali, stuff. Also, then, Frazier versus Ali was Frazier versus great Ali. Game. And if you want to go like fictional, like even like you got Drago versus Rocky, like yeah. you got like it, it's so easy to find an intense rivalry within the uh, boxing ring, and if, mm-hmm. I think it adds to it because like the entire purpose is to beat the other guy up. Yeah, and, and, like, that's true, and, and like pummel a dude. Due to the ground, like beat his face in, which is yeah. like it adds that intensity that a lot of other physical sports, while they may have them, can't really match in a sense. That's true because, like, the entire point is legally to fight somebody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. man, um, those are all good shouts. Where does if we're talking amongst organized sports, where does this win shape up against what we've mentioned to y'all? One thing I want to bring up too. I don't know how you guys felt, and maybe this is this is bias as a Carolina fan, and 
I just felt like the media coverage of this win wasn't nearly as big as I, agree, I anticipated. 100%. The next day, there was hardly a mention of it on ESPN, mm-hmm. which, I mean, like, there are plenty of other sources, but ESPN definitely still has, like, a strong hold on, sure. uh, like, on the most popular and most, like, viewed uh, sports information, news, mm-hmm. website, whatever you want to call it. But I, I just, I didn't think it Maybe it's out of respect for Coach K and wanting to celebrate him, and and I mean how much ESPN kind of sucks up to Coach K, if we're yeah. being honest. But but I felt like it wasn't covered enough, and I think historically, it's only going to become more and more legendary. Sure. But I I, I was kind of shocked that I didn't see more about it mm. in like national media. Yeah, I felt like it was more like they were covering like Coach K's last game. Oh, by the way, they lost. Exactly. Like, it's like that's once you, that's what you start reading once you click the headline. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was really about how many people showed up. I felt like to Coach yeah, K's last exactly. game more than the actual what happened, the result of the game. Um, which is disappointing because, like we said, it's really significant for me. I would say the only thing I think I can. And we're talking team versus team. The only thing I can put ahead of this might be the kick six game at least in my lifetime yeah. because I think yeah. the kick six game because of the dramatic ending I mean if this had ended on buzzer beater we might be talking kick six level it's like maybe the one of the best probably I would I would make you can make an argument the best regular season like rivalry win in sport history um, but I think for me I, I gotta give that title away to the kick six and and besides that I mean it's got to be in the top 10 of anyone's list of, of biggest rivalry Absolutely. games. I think um, I, I think that's a good route to go. Uh, I would agree with you totally, and you know, in terms of putting it o- maybe only behind the kick six, because I think the kick six is in its own echelon of like a where were you when type of mm, game. Yeah. It's like everybody could sit there and say, because I mean, I remember I was at home, I was at the dinner table, and everybody kind of just collectively stood up because you know nobody's expecting you know the game to end that way. In similar vein to like you said, a buzzer beater, which you know we're about due for here in a couple weeks with right. March Madness starting, <laughs> might have a good few of those. Um, you know, and I, I guess this, I mean, you know, this game obviously just didn't have that. And I think what did hurt it media coverage wise in terms of how the casual viewer would view this game, um, the media didn't help because like you said, it's like, well, everybody's biggest takeaway, even though we just won, it seems to still be, well, oh, by the way, this was coach K's last game. It's like not so much. How does this game's result influence, you know, how this rivalry has shaped up? So I, I would agree with that totally. It's like, you know, maybe it's closer to the Saints one because I feel like the Saints block punt could be a where were you know where were you win mm-hmm. moment as well for people in that region. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think nationwide, um, that that kick six probably takes the cake. Man, he also we'd be remiss if we didn't mention uh, Lakers Celtics, right? There might be a Lakers Celtics mm-hmm. yeah. game in the final. Yeah. That I put ahead of that or two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I I would go as far as to say top five. I, I think two. I wanted to mention, now that you mentioned Lakers-Celtics, like, in terms of even including individual rivalries, I think this definitely ranks among, like, the top five, ten since we've been alive. Or maybe even, like, top three. And the only one that really, like, came to mind for me that, that kind of reminded me of that that bird-magic rivalry is the kind of Curry-LeBron yeah. rivalry. And, like, when it came to its peak in 2016 with the LeBron block and the 3-1 lead blown by the Warriors and just kind of, like, how much that changed the NBA landscape. 
yeah. with like the Warriors going after Durant the next year and that just kind of changing everything. But I, I think this is really really high up there in terms of like a legend of the sport. Mm. Like just ch- it really changing their legacy forever. Yeah, well, yeah. And plus Duke being top five, I think yeah. like so, yeah. it's so important for that. No doubt. I think UNC could easily capitalize off of like ESPN's bias towards Duke, which I think has been around. Uh, I think the first time I really noticed it was when Zion played um, for them, and it was all about Zion, Duke, Zion, Duke, Zion, Duke. And then we swept them in the regular season, and they're like, okay, cool, UNC won. And then we got beat in the ACC um, tournament by Duke, and they're like, oh, look at Duke. Like, yeah. Even though we won that series 2-1 that yeah. year. So um, I do think ESPN is naturally biased. I think UNC could capitalize off of that by doing good in the tournament this year. Yeah. For sure. By doing good or, you know, if Duke, you know, falls early, which they <laughs> have been actually somewhat prone to as high-ranking teams in the 2010s. I think they might be the, uh, yeah, they might be the uh, worst high-seed team in the last, like, 10, 15 years in terms of yeah. their uh, tendency to go out early and get upset by, because that one time they got upset by Lehigh. Yeah, um, that's the know, game I always think of. Lehigh, um, South Carolina a couple years ago. Yeah. They also lost to Mercer in the tournament. Yeah. Like that was like two years before Lehigh or something. That was really close. Mm-hmm. So they do have a tendency to kind of pull, you know, pretty bad uh, stinkers early on. And mm-hmm. the fact that you have a freshman team that is like that was is noticeably unexperienced in the lights um, and pretty nervous. I I don't know. I, I wonder if that, that got proven a little bit in this past. I I, I seriously do, and I wonder if people are going to take are going to watch the tape and see the ways they can capitalize off of that because. Even Bancaro shot 11 for 26. Yeah. But that's not good. No. Yeah. That's not good He at did all. take Manic to the absolute cleaners <laughs> like he eight did. times. Yeah. Manic got scored on. This is another talking point I wish we had time for. Manic got scored on like every possession. <laughs> for like a solid chunk of like towards the end of the first half. It was just, I was like, his, I literally felt like his draft stock was plummeting <laughs> like at an alarming rate. That's why Baycott is Critical that Baycott is on the. I mean, that's why. I mean, I'm glad he was able. He, he picked up like two quick fouls at the beginning of the mm-hmm. game. I was like, oh, here we go. You know, is it going to be yeah. a repeat? Where he's because he only played ten minutes in the first half. So I'm like, bro, if he did not play the whole second half, like having him as a rim protector. He, I mean, he pulled double digit boards again, two blocks, mm-hmm. like huge block toward the end of the game that would have cut it to four uh, against uh, AJ Griffin. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, like Blast that would have that would have cut it to four. And I'm like, dude, four points with two minutes left, like. You, you know, know. I, you know, you could. It's a tense. It's a. That's a shift. Um. So yeah. No. Manic. I mean, you know, rim protecting, interior defending. You know, I'll take five for ten from three from him, and not mm-hmm. expect him to maybe, you know, block a layup. Like, you know, I'll mm-hmm. let him stay comfortable in what his role is. Well, he did admit this week too that he takes pride in knowing that he can't guard himself. So yeah, you <laughs> can say that, dude. <laughs> Man, all right. Well, I want to move on, but first we got to have a word from our sponsors and um, do some ad reads real quick. This first one uh, is one is a charity that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, that's right. It's Maseratis for the elderly. Mm. Um, do you know someone or know someone that knows someone that's kind of getting up there in years? Well, then Maseratis for the elderly is for you. Give them their last ride in style. Maserati. If you're hearing this, I know you want it. I know you want it. Oh my gosh. Well, this week uh, we have another advertisement involving the elderly. This is 
stop elderly people from getting Hot Pockets. <laughs> hot Pockets can be really, really steaming when they come out of the microwave. And elderly folks, some might have dementia. They might not remember how hot these Hot Pockets are. If you go to eat a Hot Pocket, it could seriously burn your face. And, and an elderly person, you just can't have that risk associated with yeah, like the dentures are gonna melt and worry. stuff. Like it's it's a it's a mess, man. Yeah. So so this is a uh, sponsoring the campaign. No hot pockets for the elderly. Both of those have a GoFundMe page. You can hit up. Um, they're they're good causes that we support here, and uh, they do really good work. So I think uh, Maseratis for the elderly had a, a, a donor goal of three point three point eight million. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. I mean, if you look, they're gonna get there, man. I think uh, last time I looked, they're like on they're like on eight dollars. So it's you know, do what you can. Um, with that, let's move on to uh, last team in or like and or dark horse, man. Mm-hmm. I want to know. Is it okay if we have both? Yeah, dude, they're dark both horse? out there. I might have a couple, like uh, multiple teams that I feel like I have to throw out there. Oh Maybe my goodness! Both. Also, uh, I think we should say right now. Boston College is up three on Wake Forest in overtime right now <laughs> what in the ACC tournament with four minutes left. And that would knock Wake Forest out. It would. Because they're right now last four in. Yeah, that makes yeah. things really tough That's for an at large bid, no doubt. Um, so, yeah, I guess I guess we can try to get it going, try to get through all the teams because I know we all have a, a lot. My, my last team in, uh, I'm like an SMU like right now. Mm. That would be my team as of now. Uh, right now they're projected current 12th seed, I think. It's them or Rutgers are kind of in the same spot right now where, you know, you get an at-large bid, and based on where they'd finish, they'd actually be required to go play in the first four-in tournament. So, you know, they narrow it down from 68 to 64. Um, they're 22-7 and seven overall and 13-4 and four, uh, in their conference. I think they're second in their conference mm-hmm. in the, Ameri- uh, the American Athletic. Um, but the catch with them is typically when we look at, like, last, last four-in teams – you say, oh, okay, well, now they're in a position where they have to win their respective conference championship to get an automatic bid. Like, that's the only way. But with the way that SMU is positioned, positioned and what I've been reading, I, I don't think that they necessarily have to. Because um, remember, Houston's in that conference as well, and I, th- I believe Houston's still ranked right now. So yeah. it wouldn't be the easiest uh, method if they if they had to win the conference to go to the tournament. You know, it's something that, you know, in Memphis they might have to run into as well um, in, in the semifinals. Um I think right now with SMU, you already have a double bye in your conference because you finished second. You're 22-7, and seven, which is enough for at least an at-large bid to play in the, the first four tournament. I think as long as you don't lose your quarterfinal matchup after your double bye, which as of now they'd either play Tulsa or Wichita State. And Wichita State they lost to earlier in the year, so that would be an interesting one. But Tulsa they swept. So you're getting a matchup with between either of those two teams in the quarterfinal. I think if you beat them, whatever happens in the semifinal, whether you have to play Memphis or Houston or whatever, I think as long as you don't fall on your face in the quarterfinal, it should be enough for 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 uh, an at-large bid. Mm-hmm. And it would help if teams like Indiana, Oregon, and Virginia Tech lost too, because they're kind of teams that are on the bubble as well. Um, you know, Oregon Pac-12 and uh, Indiana Big 12, or either Big Ten, yeah, I think it's Big 12, and then Virginia Tech ACC. So they're kind of teams in a similar position. SMU doesn't necessarily need them to lose, but it would help. So you kind of combine those things together. You get past the quarterfinal in your conference tournament. Mm-hmm. Those three teams preferably lose. SMU is my guess. It would, would, would be my best bet for 
a team right now that's poised to get in. Yeah, let's let's. Uh, I want to hear from y'all on that too. I, look, Virginia. I think the Virginia Tech Hokies are hungry, man. I see them as right now. I think they're actually pretty firmly outside of a bid for the tournament. Um, Agreed. But man, you look at these ACC teams that um, have already stamped a spot. There is some work to do, but you look at somebody like Wake Forest, who's down 75-70 right now with two and a half minutes. Also, by the way, i got to throw out there, Real Madrid versus PSG. PSG scored a goal in the first half to go up 2-0 on aggregate. Uh, Karim Bidzema has scored a hat trick in the second half to put them up 3-2. No way! PSG is about to melt down again, like they have year after year. 86th minute. Um, of course, Lionel Messi playing in this game, Kylian Mbappe, Neymar, all on the field for, P- for PSG. Um, and it's a crazy comeback. That's something to keep an eye on. Um, but man, if Wake Forest does end up losing this game, you look at the Hokies, how hungry they are for this bid. I see them getting pretty deep. And I, look, I wouldn't want to play them. If I was UNC, I would not want to be matched mm. up against the Hokies right now. Mm. So that's my, my pick. Cause I, I have the Hokies going to at least the semifinals of the ACC tournament. Getting in on the last bid without winning the tournament, which would put out what six ACC teams in the tournament? It's a lot. Seven. 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 It would. I think uh, that would it, without Wake Forest, it would yeah. be, it would be five. If Wake oh, Forest doesn't make it, they would think it's right. split. Yeah, um, yeah. The ACC is going to be interesting because I I see I see it being like regardless of if Wake Forest loses, I think it's going to be a fit a new fifth team that gets in. I think they're going to give the ACC five teams no matter what happens. So, if the, if it's not Wake Forest, I think Virginia Tech has a strong case. I think Virginia has kind of lingered around, too. Mm. And they've been playing a little better. They've kind of turned it on in the second half of the season. And with, with Tony Bennett as your head coach, they're so disciplined. They don't always have to have a ton of talent to, to win a lot of games. So, I would say they're a team to watch out for, too, as that fifth team in the ACC. It's definitely between Virginia and Virginia Tech. Mm. And, hey, Syracuse won by a lot today. And it's pretty far-fetched to to see Syracuse in the tournament. But if they get caught against Duke, uh, I don't know what's going to happen with Buddy Beheim yet. Yeah, that punchy he punched, dude. Threw a punch today. Pretty clear. That's, that, that'll be a big deal. But if they could upset Duke... It could be, get pretty crazy in the mm. ACC in terms of what happens in the tournament, and you could see some like a, a major underdog winning winning the tournament. Uh, I guess the the other team that that I've been kind of looking at, I talked about them last week, is Dayton. They upset Davidson on Sunday. We kind of talked about that game a little bit last week, and not to fixate on the A-10 conference every week on this podcast, <laughs> but I'm just really interested in what happens there because they've got three tournament caliber teams, and I would love to see all three in, but I don't know if the selection committee will really go that route, and I think Davidson has earned a spot, but it's really going to be a major toss-up between VCU and Dayton as to who gets that second spot, and you know, if some chaos, or actually, I guess if things play out exactly the way the committee sees them now, and a team like Dayton or VCU wins the A10, with Davidson getting in too, I could see a case for one of those teams to be the last team in as well. So hmm. it'll be fun to see what happens this week. Sure. 
I'd say SMU was probably my uh, last two to make it in as well. Yes, I do think that Rutgers has saved a spot for them. I think their quad one record just looks too good. I agree. Um, yes, they've lost to like quad three teams and you know really you know crapped the bed when they shouldn't have. But the fact that they're playing the Big Ten and are I believe believe fourth in the Big Ten right now uh, above Ohio State and teams yeah. that are ranked right now is ridiculously impressive. And so I do think that they solidified a spot. Honestly, I think they I, I think they should get a buy. I don't think with that record, I don't think they should be playing in. Um, but I guess you, it's hard to justify losing to so many bad teams. Would you say they deserve a buy over Michigan too? Because Michigan was kind of on the bubble, and I think they won this past weekend over Ohio State. I, 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 I think I think it's going to come down to the uh, Big Ten tournament, and we're going to see which team makes it farther. I think honestly, whichever team makes it farther, there might be a, a, a little uh, swap in there. Yeah. Um, in terms of voting teams in, but hmm. I also, I do think Dayton deserves a spot. I would hate for them to go out. Um, I also, another, like, Dark Horse team, because I, I, they're, they're right now, they're in um, the last four out um, on uh, Joe Lenardi's prediction, but Florida. Florida is very up and down, um, and they're playing a really tough SEC conference, which is probably the second best conference um, this year behind the Big Ten. Um, very tough SEC conference, and they're very up and down. They've beaten teams that they should not have had any business beating. But they've also lost teams where they, you know, could have won. If they're able to pull off a run, I think, and if anything can happen in March, and a bunch of teams that are last four in um, or first first four out just lose, yeah, I think they could jump and maybe snag a last spot. It's very unlikely, but it will be interesting to see how much fight they have. And obviously, anything could happen in the um, SEC tournament, but. Florida is a team on there that I think could um, try to push themselves in. I also I like the Virginia Tech prediction. I do think they're they have a, a better shot than Virginia does. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and obviously I don't want Virginia to go far because means they'd have to beat us um, right. in the quarterfinals. But I do think Virginia Tech has a better path, and I do think also they would be playing Duke, correct, mm-hmm. in the semis. Uh, who would Virginia, Virginia Tech if they um, ran through? No, Syracuse. they would be playing. Or, I have it pulled up eight, right now. And then, yeah, I think in you're the, talking Virginia. If Virginia Tech, when Virginia Tech, they'd be playing Duke in the semis of Duke. They, they'd, they'd be playing uh, UNC uh, in the semis. UNC. Okay, interesting. Looking at the bracket right now, let's actually transition into our last segment, our hot take segment, because we're uh, already looking at forty minutes right now. Um, look, my that stuff that exactly segments into my hot take, which is that Virginia Tech makes it to the semifinals of the ACC tournament. Um, that which which would mean I think they would beat Clemson, uh, and then they would have to beat Notre Dame, which I, I actually kind of have them. I, I I actually really am behind Virginia Tech to do that, uh, and I think a semifinal run would be enough to push them over a team like Wake Forest. Which if we're checking the update on the score right now, um, I'll give that to you in just a second. Who's up next? Hot take of the week. I I can go ahead. Um... My hot take is uh, a massively underrated team going into the tournament who's been really overlooked is Notre Dame, who you just mentioned. They've got uh, just a super experienced team, and then they've also got an incredible freshman in Blake Wesley, who is, uh, I think he was an all-ACC selection. He was at least an all-ACC freshman team. And he's one of the best players in the conference. And with Mike Bray, they've just got a really good history of making tournament runs. Uh, I could see them really just making some noise in the tournament. They've got a really balanced team. And 
I, I, I think that Notre Dame's going to make a little bit of a, a run in the ACC tournament, and then I, I, I think they're going to be a, a major upset team as a maybe a lower seed in the like that 9 to 11 range that could really make some noise in the NCAA tournament and potentially be a Sweet 16 kind of caliber team. Yeah, uh, on the topic of hot takes relative to college basketball teams, I, a, a team that I like to get hot, that, that, that I think might uh, will get hot uh, in the tournament, I like Murray State, who is 30 and 2. John Morant, I know you appreciate that, John Morant's alma mater. They're number, number 22 in the country right now. They've only lost two games. They're 30 and 2 overall. They went undefeated in conference play, and I think just won the OVC, which is the Ohio Valley Conference. They just won the Ohio uh, uh, Valley Conference uh, championship for, for the uh, conference. They defeated Morehead State uh, this past weekend. Did they lose a single game in, like, in conference, conference play? play? No. Yeah, no, they went undefeated in conference play, which is, you know, obviously in, in whatever conference you play, I think that's incredible. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, you, you have to play with the cards you're dealt. I mean, people say, oh, well, they didn't beat a single-ranked opponent. And really, their only notable ranked matchup was against Auburn. But I'm like, they did their job because they beat up on the bad teams. Mm-hmm. Like, if, you, if you're given a schedule and the way you're playing makes everybody else that you play look weaker, you beat up on bad teams. And that's what they've, that's what they've mm-hmm. done. Um, and I think to note, too, in terms of why I think, you know, losing to a team like Auburn, you know, is not that big of a deal in terms of getting hot. The, the team that John Morant was on, uh, the, you know, his best year there when he was averaging 24.5 was the 2018-2019 uh, Murray State team. Mm. And they lost to Auburn that year, too, in the regular season. But they went on to the uh, round of 32 and almost went to the round of 16. They matched up against a tough Florida State team in the round of 32. But they beat Marquette. Came out of the, you know, burst on the scene, came out of nowhere, beat Marquette in the round of 64. Um, so I think a team like that, you know, that had John Morant spearheading that attack, you know, who's averaging 24. Now their leading score is only averaging around 18. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a more balanced, uh, you know, team that they have right now. 30-2 and two is no joke no matter who you're playing. I like their chances to go in, you know, especially having already completed their tournament. They have more time. They already have their automatic bid. Uh, I like their odds to, to go through the tournament and maybe be a, a dangerous team nobody wants to face late. Mm. That's my team. Mm. I'm keeping it college basketball. I think my hot take is also tournament-related. I'm looking at – um current projections and the way they've been playing recently i think memphis can make a sweet 16 elite eight run I agree, um, dude. right I now agree. they're matched up against number six ohio state i think they could beat number six ohio state who has proven that they like to choke very in, consistent ncaa tournament um and then they have number three villanova and i could see them out manning and just out muscling number three villanova because they are probably one of the more physical teams um in the country um and that would also lead into matchups against Either you know Notre Dame, USC, or Kentucky, and I think they could bring you know bring it to those teams as well. Um, so I cur- I think they could really make a run. I think another underrated team that can make a uh, dark horse you know Cinderella run um, is Boise State. Uh, they Ooh. right now getting a seven seed. They're playing really well. Um, again, this is my bias. If they win their first round matchup against Creighton, um, they'd be playing Duke um, unless Duke blows to Jacksonville State. Which would also be really fun to watch, but um, Brandon Huffman. No, but I, I, I genuinely do think that Boise State could pull off an upset. Um, I think like history shows that that could go in their favor. And then Davidson right now is playing a number six Iowa, so I think a first round upset that people could not see coming is that. Yeah. I don't have them beating number three Tennessee, who I think is probably the strongest three seed that's been around really in like strong. several years. They they 
they've been playing like a one seed over the past past couple of weeks. And I think they could make a final four run. But uh, mm. yeah, it's Dude. really interesting to see how things develop. I love the spicy take to Corbin. All right, we got we got to call in a guest here. We're gonna call see see who we can get on the line here. Erica Fager, you're live on the Odd Pearl Erica. podcast with uh, Turner, Corbin, and Sam. We're talking hot takes, and we need to call in someone who we knew would be able to give a spicy take in the world of sports. Oh, um, oh okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Erica, what is your hot take of the week? <laughs> um, of sports? Yeah, of sports. Um, oh, my gosh. Okay, that guy who got traded to the Broncos? Wow. Russell Wilson. Russell, Russell, Russell Wilson. Wilson. Okay, how do you how do you think he's gonna do? Honestly, I'm not sure. I will say, I don't know. I think it just what really matters is if he can get his head in the right place. Um, I think Snap that will make all the difference. I thought it. I thought it was a bold trade, but I think maybe some some new a new environment might be good for him. Okay, so your hot take is Russell Wilson. What do you think? How many games does he win this season? No one than a hundred. That is maybe the spiciest take we've ever had. Oh, that's, that's over his career, though, right, Erica? No, no, that's just this season. Okay. <laughs> that's okay. That's that a is a spicy take. take, Erica Fager. Everyone, thank you, Erica. Yes, you got to tune into the podcast and hear and hear all of our hot takes too. I'm so excited. Okay, unfortunately, I have to go. But okay. Yes. No. Please I go. Am Okay, beautiful. Bye, Erica. Bye. Oh, oh so good. Oh, so good. Man. <laughs> the, boldest, the boldest of bold takes. Man. To be almost alive. improbable, almost impossible. I'm going to be honest, I don't think the Broncos are going to win for like the next 20 years. So. <laughs> <laughs> this has been the Odd Pearl Podcast, live from Pearl Lane. Keep it easy.